I think the biggest thing I would have to say I wish I did when I was younger was to ask to be involved more. It's easy to see things from the outside and be like, that's cool. I wish I could help. And especially in church, when I moved to San Diego, like one of the best things I did was just say, hey, I have a weird odd hour job and I just want to help however I can. And it just started with like, hey, do you know how to fix lights? I'm like, no, but I'll learn. You know? Come into and, the and light. Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. What is it? Gaff tape. Well, hey there. Welcome to Coffee and Gaff Tape. I'm Nate Anderson from Resi, and I'm here with my good buddy, Daniel Larson. What's up, friends? We made it to episode two. Yes, we did. We know it's only episode two, but even if you're brand new, I'm sure you know the deal. We are here to support those in the shadows. Those who might be listening right now during a 3 a.m. loadout... Those who know their fixture DMX dresses better than their own home addresses. If that's you. I am super impressed. Right? We're talking being in production. Yes, we are. Before we jump into episode two, we need to take a quick time out and say thank you. Our launch episode with Chad Vegas was a huge win. You guys showed up big time in support of the show. Feedback yep. has been overwhelmingly positive. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. Uh, we should probably do at least one more. Yeah, one or two more. Okay. For sure. Cool. Yeah. I think one comment described something that locked in our minds, no fluff and just stuff. That uh, is a tweet. That is a tweet for sure. We want to continue to cut through the noise, provide valuable insight, knowledge, and encouragement from leaders in production who we all know and trust, because that's exactly who Daniel and I want to hear from. That's right. And of course, if you feel like we're accomplishing that, we'd be highly honored if you'd subscribe, review, and share. It means a lot to us. And if you didn't like it, you can still review us as well. Just remember, my name is Lee Fields, and you're listening to the MXU Podcast. Nice. Just kidding, Lee. We love you. All right. It is time for the interview. This is the part of the show where we get to talk tech booth life and real life. And as you've heard in the show teaser, our guest today is former video engineer at Passion City Church in the ATL, Ryan Ellis. ATL? Atlanta. It's, ah. it's, it's what the cool kids are saying. Got it. Ryan is an incredibly talented technical expert, and spoiler alert, he's now on the Resi team, which yeah, we're yeah. incredibly excited about. So it's it's kind of a trend that we have around here. People that we really look up to, we ask to work for us. So does that mean you really look up to me? Yeah, I, I at least follow you on Instagram, right? No, you didn't. Okay. Well, uh, we're always hiring, so uh, feel free to, to check out our jobs, resi.io slash jobs. Okay, shall we? Let's do it. All right, friends, we are here with Ryan Ellis. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. We are so pumped. Um, Absolutely. Sorry you are here against your will. <laughs> we know that uh, you work for Resi and with us, and so uh, we appreciate you gutting this out with us. It's just a part of joining Resi. You got to do the uh, obligatory podcast episodes, apparently. I feel like I'm in the staff onboarding call all over again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Resi. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Ryan, we're going to jump right into it and just ask you straight out of the gate, who is Ryan Ellis? He's kind of weird. I won't lie. You know, um, <laughs> no, um, I am a video minded engineer. I'm passionate about the church, the local church, the big C church, um, everything in between. And, um, you know, for uh, my wife and I, we moved out to Atlanta a couple of years ago to be a part of a big church uh, called Passion City. And we've been able to really walk through a journey with them and now into a season of being able to support multiple churches with my role here at Resi. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So I got to admit, I was stalking your LinkedIn profile prior to <laughs> down, and I noticed two prior employers that I have to ask about. Uh, one, okay. you are a were were a crew member at Chipotle. <laughs> I was okay. Okay, and then also uh, the other one was. Uh, side court, on court camera operator for the Sacramento Kings. In a way. Yeah. Let me uh, get into those. Uh, Sacramento Kings, uh, my little hometown out in Northern California, where I grew up, there was this little TV studio that put on a show and all it was, was showing only the shots that the Sacramento Kings made. That's all it was. And I would sit courtside and just record those. That's all it was. Um, it was just a fun little gig while I was in school learning how to do television because TV studio in a little town was awesome to be a part of. And so it was a big perk to be able to sit courtside to basketball games. Cause I love basketball. So definitely golden state fan over the Kings. Sorry, but <laughs> it was still a fun game. And then Chipotle was fun. Um, you know, got out of school. I graduated when the recession hit. Um, and, and so I did a lot of independent contracting and just like anyone trying to make some money needed, needed money and needed food and Chipotle helped out with both of those. <laughs> and so it was nice to be able to go, uh, make some burritos, take a couple home at the end of the day. It was, it was great. I definitely was well-fed in that job. <laughs> Man, I would just try to stay on payroll just to see if I can get that employee discount. You oh, know, absolutely. But- Half off. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, obviously we can see how the Sacramento Kings gig really helped you in your future career, but what did you learn from your time on the Chipotle burrito line uh, that helped you in your, your career as a video engineer? How you can fit so much stuff in a tiny little space. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I knew there was something. There's got to be a connection. Yeah. Got to be. There a has to be. It's carried off through years of my life. You know. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Ryan. So, Ryan, what what then brought you into the shadows of production? Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, it started when I was a kid. Honestly, um, little church out in Placerville, California. Um, you know, I was a kid that liked to push buttons and mess things up. And I was a kid that took apart the remote control and all that stuff. And so, um, you know, right before I was a teenager, I was helping in the kids church and then got to go to the adult church and things like that. Um, started my production journey in lighting and, you know, it was a church just full of park hands, a really old lighting console moved on to mixing sound, um, for the church. And then, um, running lyrics. We didn't even have a switcher, no cameras or anything like that. Um, and I eventually worked for that church, um, being able to help with their systems. And it came in a season where they were going through a few upgrades and things like that. And it really kind of propelled my passion for video, um, and to get into that kind of thing. And I think that kind of started as the foundation to my belief of helping the local church and doing what they can and being able to create some of quality without having to spend a lot of money. Cause I came from a church where our budget was really small annually and we were still able to pull off incredible things with what we had. It's easy to just kind of like say Google at the bigger churches and things like that. But you know, it, it's, there's a lot of churches. Like I look at what we did at passion. We pulled off incredible things without spending a ton of money, you know, and 
it, it's amazing where if there's a problem, there's a creative solution and there's a way to pull it off and make it look good. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. What's something that you know now that you didn't know when you first started or that you wish you knew when you first started? I think the biggest thing I would have to say, I wish I did when I was younger was to ask to be involved more. It's easy to see things from the outside and be like, that's cool. I wish I could help. And especially in church, when I moved to San Diego, like one of the best things I did was just say, Hey, I have a weird odd hour job and I just want to help however I can. And it just started with like, Hey, do you know how to fix lights? I'm like, no, but I'll learn, you know? And, and that was kind of like the gateway to starting this thought process of like, you should always ask especially in church. I, I can't name a technical director that'll always have every position staff that'll always have, um, all the help that they need. There's always something where you're constantly multitasking. And, you know, the other day someone came up to me and was like, Hey, where can I help? I'm like, I need you to run clocks. It's like six clicks throughout the hour, but it would be a huge help because I always forget it. And so like, I, I think the biggest thing with that, like I said, as I learned is like, always ask, show up. If you, um, like I'll go to things every once in a while alone and I'll go to front of house and be like, Hey, how are you guys doing? Need help with anything? Most of the time the answer is no. Um, but at, sometimes you get to at least be in the booth or be in the control room and see what's going on and learn so much from that. And sometimes you might get lucky and they'll be like, Hey, you want to run lyrics? Cause it's just pressing a space bar, you know, but it, it's a huge help and it's impactful to not only the congregation, but to whoever's on stage as well. Wow. That's awesome. All right, so we definitely want to hear about how you ended up at Passion. I think uh, that's going to be a really interesting story. But then also on top of that, uh, prior to you actually arriving at Passion, like they were already huge. Like the church was growing, Passion mm -hmm. Conference was a thing, hundreds of thousands of lives were being changed. Um, what was it like for you to kind of walk into this, uh, I'll call it a mega movement? And mm -hmm. this kind of thing was already going on is established the way we do things is already, you know, set. And mm -hmm. yet here's you, you're coming in, you want to put your fingerprint on it. What's, what are the dynamics that you're feeling personally, like going into that situation and how did you navigate that? Yeah. So I got to passion city. Um, before that I was working as one of the technical directors at rock church out in San Diego. And my buddy Noah, um, was hired on at passion as their production manager. Um, and a few months later, you know, he called me and he was like, Hey, you should come out, just check it out. And that's all it was. It was just, Hey, come out, check it out. Um, I want you to talk to a few people and while you're here. And so we flew out, um, for one of their big weekends. And I just remember just like weeping, like, wow, this is an incredible movement. And it just like hit me in that way. Just, and my wife too, she was, she came out with me and she, it was like, we belong here somehow. And it turned into the discussion of, would you like to be our video engineer? And, uh, it took a while to get out there. Um, but we, we pulled the trigger and moved out to Atlanta drove across the country and made it and everything. Um, but it was kind of crazy to move into such a big movement. Um, rock is a big church and everything, but it, it was crazy to see the impact that passion was also having on the world in a different way. Um, and to see how they were hitting a, call it a demographic of, college age students and things like that. And it was honestly overwhelming at first just to, to see how the impact on the world 
came about because I came in right at passion 2019. I honestly didn't know much about passion conference. I have to admit, and to sit in master control for passion conference to see four different auditoriums and arenas full of students and just the impact that that was having on their lives was huge for me because it's just like, I had no idea. And it just hit me in the sense of like, wow, I get to be a part of something like this. And then, you know, turning that into now, what does the nine to five look like in a role like that, um, for maintaining systems? Um, I was hired on more by passion city church. So my role was to take care of the infrastructure of the locations that we were at, um, two in Atlanta, one in Washington, DC, and to understand what I had freedom in and what I needed to include others in, um, what well, was very eye opening to me. Um, you know, I need to upgrade the router or we need to replace a, a chipset on the switcher or whatever it was. That was no big deal. That part of my job was, Hey, you need to make sure it works. And, and, and that was, uh, fairly routine, but you know, it came to a point where it's like, Hey, you know what? The TVs in the lobby or the oval area, they look like they're eight years old and we probably need to upgrade those. And that would go into like, okay, we need to talk to these three people about that and see what, what we would want to do come with different models, what they would look like. Can we get samples? And so it, it was always interesting to, you know, learn, you know, the processes around what I would think would be a simple decision. Like we need to upgrade the TVs. Let's just upgrade the TVs. It's a TV. Right. Um, you know, it just the process that would go around that because I went from an organization that put on events to an organization that put on experiences. Mm. Um, and, and it goes from everything from the moment you park your car to the moment you drive off, you know, they they think through everything. Um, like what's the experience on the bus from the parking garage to the building? Uh, what's the experience as you walk through the oval, what's the experience when you sit down in your seat, um, all that stuff. And every event was very eye opening and how my role fit into all of that was very eye opening as well, because you had to think through everything. It was crazy to be able to just run a cable on the ground was, mm -mm. you have to think through it. <laughs> and what you would think is like, it's just a cable on the ground, but you look at it, you're like, you, you, you take a step back, you look at it and you're like, that looks terrible why would I, why, what, what was I thinking? You know? And so kind of changing the mindset around like, Hey, how can I make sure that this is a great experience for everyone that is going to be around what I do? That's awesome. Yeah. Why is that intentionality important, Ryan? Like, why does it matter? It, it kind of comes into, I don't want to be the reason why someone doesn't get to experience Christ. Um, I don't want to be the reason why someone decides not to make that decision in their life. And if, you know, there, there was one uh, event where uh, we did theater in the round. And so I had to set up a third projector in the back of the room and I ran a line. It worked great. And then come event, it died. It, and there was nothing I could do. It was a bad cable. It, it was, it was so heartbreaking because just like that one, it was a major failure and I don't take failure very well personally. Um, but it's just like one of those things where it's like, I can tell that over half this room was watching that screen and now they're missing out on something. And now there's this giant white square in the middle of the room mm. that is doing nothing. And it's a distraction. And, and that's just like the whole thing of like, again, it's, I don't like failure. And so to think about that is like, did that contribute to someone's experience 
of not being able to engage in what pastor Louis was saying that day. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't want to be the reason why someone doesn't get to experience Christ. That's huge. Thanks for sharing that. Um, at, at passion, what would you say, what were some of like your, your favorite, either your favorite things to do or some of your favorite moments while you were there? I always enjoyed getting new gear. I think everyone in my type of role always enjoys getting new gear and new we did that day. quite a bit. New gear day was always a good day. And when you have new building new gear day, that that's always fun. Ooh. Cause it's a lot of gear at once. And so, yeah, seriously. But I, I think one of the biggest things is, um, that I've always enjoyed at passion is just being able to sit down as the event starts and let things happen and just watch watch the work that you put in happen because essentially the, the goal of the engineer is to make things work, to get video from the camera out to the world or to your record deck or to the projector and to be able to let other people take, I don't want to say this, to let the, the door holders of the volunteers, you know, work with the work you've done. And so getting the cameras into the system, into the switcher, the switcher off the director, they're watching your multi-views. They're doing all that stuff. Tallies are working. Hopefully, um, I have a little PTSD around tally. I won't lie, but uh, (laughs) no, let's not do that. Um, but you know, just being able to sit down and let others work with what you've set up and let that turn into an amazing product because I, I am a terrible director. I've tried. I can probably direct a talking head. Okay. But if you asked me to direct worship, it would look terrible. And so to be able to be able to like set up the cameras and get them into a place and shade them properly and let the director really excel in his gifts, you know, and create something magical like that. It's awesome to be able to just take it in right when the event starts. And that's always like, when the water's calm, it's always work, 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 set up TV, set up cameras, program things, get all that done. And then when the event starts, you know, you've kind of done it right. If you get to watch what you've been working towards. That's awesome. Um, and obviously a topic that's been on everybody's mind lately, but, uh, the, the whole scope of the game changed, uh, during your time there when COVID hit, what did that Mm -hmm. event look for like for you guys while you were there as a church? And how did you guys handle that? Yeah. COVID was tough. It was tough for every church. I think out there passion was not a broadcast church. We didn't stream online or anything like that. Um, but we were fortunate for a few things that we've done, uh, leading up to COVID. One was that we, um, we had an encoder, a very good encoder because of what we do with passion conferences. We've always streamed passion conferences. The provider we had, um, we signed a contract that was annual, but it was mainly just used once a year for a couple of days. And so we were ready to stream. We just never did it um, because we didn't want to, it was just that. And then one thing we did kind of at the beginning of my um, employment there is we did dry runs of what an online broadcast would look like. We've spent over six months with a host in the oval talking on a microphone before the service would start. And we would, we had a separate switcher off to the side. They would cut it, everything like that. Um, and then we got into like, Hey, what does a broadcast mix look like? We tried doing it through a console. We tried going through pro tools and all this stuff and it went nowhere. Honestly, we did it for over six months. And the question came up of where is this going? And like I said, passion is all about creating great experiences. And it kind of came down to you guys. 
this isn't where we want to be yet. We want it to be great, you know, and we look at other churches around the country, around the world, honestly, like we see what Elevation, Hillsong, Red Rocks, all those guys, we watch what they do. And it's just like, what can we do to be just as good as them, as them, if not better, you know, no, no offense to them, but, <laughs> um, you know, what, what, what can we do to meet that? Cause we couldn't hit that quality at first. And so it, it brought up the discussion of like, is it our gear? Is it the way we're doing things? Um, and then, you know, we just took a break from it. And so when COVID actually hit, it wasn't too hard because we were already 90% of the way there. We had the encoder, we had the workflow. All we had to do is get more cameras. Honestly, we ran with, we had these Hitachi cameras there. Uh, they were basically 720 cameras scaled up to 1080. Um, they look good. We had to work on some lighting and things like that. They look good. Um, but we had like a C 300 out in the oval for the hosts and things like that. So it was very uncontrolled because people were like the cameras too bright. I'd have to run out there and shade it down, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, so we were able to, um, really lean on the new building. We were working on the Cumberland building even before COVID was a thing. And we were able to basically call our um, integrator and say, Hey, can we get the cameras now? And they said, yeah, let's do it. And so they were able to get the cameras to us. It was the um, Panasonic Barricam LT. Uh, we started with four of those and set those up and um, get the glass on them and everything. And it looked great. And that was a huge step up for us because basically if you, if you knew what you were looking for, you could tell that our original cameras were scaled up. And so to get a true 1080 feed from a camera was really nice to have. Um, but then it also came with a learning curve because we went from engineering cameras to cinema cameras. And if you're in my role, you know that that can be a big pain in the butt. And I learned that in the height of COVID, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and so it's like, what do you mean they don't have tally? <laughs> you know, Ooh, you it's a it cinema up. camera. Yeah, I know. I know my bad, <laughs> but it, it, it was one of those things where it, it was hard because we, we were really forced into it like a lot of other churches, but at the same time, it was not too hard because we, we practice and we prepared and we improved. We were able to get some things that really helped us. And we were blessed that, you know, some donations came in that allowed us to get the things that we needed to get to turn it into what it is today. Um, and then things kind of got a little bit better as the Cumberland building opened, we were able to think through how do we want to manage the broadcast? Cause we were actually able to plan it into a new building yeah. and manage it in that way. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. It's cool. Ryan, obviously new opportunities are awesome and we're thrilled to have you on the Resi team. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about that transition. I think uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, move from a role in the church towards something in the marketplace or something like Resi where they're equipping the church, uh, which is awesome. And, and you know, what, what has it been like for you during that time of transition and how has it been for you now moving from the control room to, you know, being a door holder uh, for the church, mm -hmm. uh, both, both literally speaking and figuratively speaking, yeah. just because yeah. you're, you know, assisting and helping the church to, to accomplish their goal, but you're a little bit more on the outside now. Yeah, it, it's been really fun. Um, I was very fortunate to, you know, be able to talk to you guys at Resi and find the role I'm in now. It, it's kind of fun to be able to now talk to hundreds of churches. Now, I, I think I've been here three months now 
And I think I've talked to well over 150, almost 200 churches now and just learning about, you know, what are the churches doing? And it's honestly kind of fun to bring that back to passion and be like, Hey, look at this, see what other churches are doing. And, you know, it's kind of crazy to, to think that, um, I'm learning something because I, I thought I'd be coming in to teach and I'm not, I'm, I'm being educated as much as I'm helping other churches, which is really fun. Um, but it's also been great to be able to just still be a part of what passion is doing in my role. I mean, I was over there today, uh, helping out with their archives. Archives is uh, a big thing for us because we like to remember what we've done and everything. And so we store a lot of data, um, and I'm still able to support them in that area. Um, and still serve every Sunday. I help them out with engineering every once in a while. I'll, um, run the switcher with them. I ran it with my buddy Colton the other day. Um, he was directing and I was able to help punch the buttons. I, I love doing that. So it's still great to be able to show up and help out wherever I can. That's so, so cool. I think something that you can definitely speak into and, um, especially because of your experience throughout, you know, your life and career, uh, you know, as uh, someone in production, you've seen church at so many different scales. Uh, so, and, and I also know the, one of the toughest things about being in the production world, especially in church is like, you know, what we call like tech envy. And it's like, Oh, like what's that church doing over there? Oh man. Like now we got to get like better gear or we got to do something different. We got to do something better. Like what's a commonality that can really put an end to this tech envy that can happen sometimes, uh, in church, um, you know, being as you've been on both sides of the spectrum, small church, big church, mega church. Mm -hmm. Chipotle. Yeah. Chipotle. (laughs) (laughs) Burrito church. Double chicken. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hold on. Let me, let me get my mind around that. it's so easy to have tech envy because, you know, I, I went to CNN one day and I'm like looking at what they have in there. I'm just like, wow, that is insane. I want that so bad. But every time I like think about it in the role of the church, it's like, what are you doing today? What's wrong with it? And how can you improve it with what you have? And so that's kind of the first question I have is like, I see people tell me, it's like, Hey, our, our picture looks terrible. Okay. Show me. Actually, I think your problem is the lighting, not the cameras or the video system, you know, work on a basic three point lighting system and go from there. It's like people I've seen so many examples of people saying, yeah, our, our talent blends into the background too much. It's like, cause there's nothing making them stand out. So it's like, okay, let's look at it from a 90,000 foot view and take a look at it from there. Um, but then at the same time, you know, just kind of looking at, like I said, what are you doing and what do you want to do and what gear will provide that to you? Because a passion, I would love nothing more to get an acuity switcher from Ross and the best router out there and everything like that. But it would be absolute overkill for what we do. Um, I worked with a lot of churches that are like, we want to get Ross carbonites. And it's like, okay, what are you doing? Um, well, I have three cameras and we overlay lyrics. Okay. Do you need a carbonite for that? The black magic switcher will do it. And will it last you as long? Maybe, maybe not, who knows, but it's going to do more already than what you want it to do. And so like, I look at what we do at passion and again, I wanted an acuity so bad. It's a tech envy. It's a piece of gear. I've always wanted to, to be able to work with. Um, but we just can't justify it because we don't do 
what an acuity can provide. It'll, it'll, we'd be using 10% of what it does, you know, um, where the carbonites have really done a good job with us in providing what we need. We're able to do our, you know, our two, three ups, things like that. We're able to do what we want to do with expression and keying different graphics and stuff. And it's more than enough still. And we don't need an acuity. We want one, but we don't need one. And so it's like, okay, take out the wants. What do you need? And what will, what gear out there will help you do that? And then you look at your budget and find what will provide what you need within that budget. Wise words, wise words, even though it's super difficult to do in practice. Yeah. Um, so speaking of tech and gear and, and all this different stuff, I would love to kind of uh, pick your brain on what you think the frontier of church, uh, church broadcast, church technology is, uh, you know, taking into consideration the new normal and so many churches being online now and really investing into that side of, uh, you know, their front door in a way. Um, what do you think is next? I think next is really figuring out how church is going to work in person and online. Um, COVID has definitely launched the church into broadcasting and for a lot of churches that haven't broadcasted. And unfortunately COVID still has a lot of fear in people's lives where they don't want to go out in public. And so creating an online experience for what you're doing in house now is almost a requirement. You know, we're, we've already been in the age where if you don't have a website, you're a dying company. Now we're moving towards, if you're not streaming, you're a dying company. And so I think it's the next frontier is for churches to find realistic ways to start streaming. That It's going to be a requirement for any church now uh, to be able to survive one and to still be an impact in their community. Um, and then the other side of that, that I think is the next frontier is reaching out to other churches and communicating, Hey, this is a problem I'm facing. What are you guys doing to overcome it? And it's not a discussion of like, what do you have and what do I need to buy? It's, it's the concept talk. It's like, Hey, your picture looks great. Uh, I remember talking to a church like, wow, you guys look awesome. What are you guys doing? And they told me like, no, we use this little camera. It's a little like handy cam. I'm like, how on earth does that look so good? You know, it, it, it is amazing what a lot of people are doing with, a little because they change the concept of, you know, like I said, lighting or where the actual camera is actually positioned and things like that. And so you won't learn unless you talk to others. And I think your local community of churches is a place to start with that. Reach out to your local tech directors and see what's going on, what they're doing and learn from that because that's the community worth investing in to grow your ministry. Well, I know you did not do this on purpose, but that was a great segue into my next question. <laughs> so thank okay. you very much. <laughs> Speaking of talking to other churches, uh, a little while back, I was on Instagram as I am, you know, I don't post on Instagram. I'm one of those like weird guys. That <laughs> I look at Instagram, but I don't do anything on Instagram. So anyway, yeah. uh, don't try to follow me. This, <laughs> it's going to be boring. Um, but you and uh, Zach Kimry from elevation, uh, mm -hmm. did this like Instagram live thing. And I was just curious, like, how did that come about? Do you guys talk a lot? And what does that kind of look mm -hmm. like? Uh, Zach is awesome. He, he is like the biggest fan of local church production and he just calls it as it, it is and everything. But, 
Um, we got into a good place in the new building with passion where, you know, I made the mistake of ask me a question and it just was overwhelming. Honestly. Um, I had a lot of questions come in. I answered them and I'm basically like, you know what you guys, I'm going to do a tour and we're going to walk through it and, um, did a little walk through, um, the passion Cumberland building, which is huge. I think I ran out of breath a couple of times during that, you did, that tour. You did, I yeah. <laughs> And so went through there and then all of a sudden it pops up on my screen. Zach is trying to join the, 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 whatever it is that Instagram does. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And yeah, it was kind of fun and, uh, just full of positivity. He's like, I love what you guys are doing out there. Keep it up and everything like that. It, it's awesome. Um, yeah, Zach is a great guy. Because so essentially he tried to hijack your tour. He did. Zach? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. But he did it to be an encourager. And that's the biggest thing is, you know, I think one of the favorite thing, my favorite things that he does is he'll hear of people being like, we're trying to go 4k. Why aren't you going 4k? 4k is the way. And he is like, y'all 1080 I 5994 is all you need. It works because no one is watching your content in 4k. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. Yeah. It's always funny when I look back at the, uh, the stats and analytics reports on 90% of churches out there from the smallest to the biggest. And they, I, I'd go so far as to say like almost 99% of, of churches have the majority of viewers at 144 P for the majority of the services, which don't, is amazing. Don't, don't ruin our day, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I think it goes back to exactly what you're saying, Ryan. And, and I've, I've talked about this for years where it's like, you can have a great camera, uh, you can have a, you know, a, a, a very can a very camera or a very expensive video set up. And I've seen churches that do this in the past where they get the highest end gear, but they don't spend the time investing into actually how to use it properly or mm -hmm. into the actual theory and methodology of why do we do what we do? And mm -hmm. frankly, they could have gotten a, a way with a, a, a much simpler setup. So it's, sure, it's yeah. got to start with the why. True. Yeah. You could be a church with the best camera out there, but if your audience has the worst internet in the world, that camera is useless. Mm. Right. So speaking of gear, we, we know gear is great. Uh, but, but just to, to talk about the why and talk a little bit about the why for you, Ryan, why, why do you do what you do? Whether it's at passion or whether it's in at your church in California or now at Resi. I love puzzles and I love systems and to, trying to make all these different things work. Um, I, I think being able to put that into something that's bigger than me is also a lot of fun in, in the sense of like having an impact on just people's lives. But I have always enjoyed looking at a system as a whole. And I've been able to do this in this season, even while working for Resi, I've been able to work with a couple churches and design systems and you have to think through so much because you have a camera okay how does that camera get video signal how is that camera controlled does it need a network cable and then how does that hit the switcher what do you need to know about the switcher so i love designing systems it's always been a passion of mine to be able to really go through and think through the puzzle of how to create a product that needs hundreds of connections and hundreds of programming points and things like that then that's kind of what just drives me is just like those kinds of puzzles of a giant system in that way. That's awesome. 
Well, Ryan, that is all the time we have. But yeah, just so much experience and so much wisdom. And thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you Thanks, again guys. soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, that was awesome, man. I, I, I loved having Ryan on. I know, um, you know, we, we, we all look up to people in different churches and say, hey, they're, they've arrived or they're there. But one of the things I love about Ryan is just his heart that, hey, we're, we're going to learn from other churches. Everybody's doing it differently. It's not, there's not a right way or a wrong way. Uh, it's just whatever you're doing and take that to the next level. And then, you know, sooner or later we get to a point where we feel like we, um, haven't arrived, but we at least know that <laughs> know we know a what more than we did before. Yeah, and we know what we don't know. You know, right. there, there's this curve of like, hey, we, um, you know, we we think that we're doing everything right, or we um, maybe are are blinded to the fact that there's ways that we can be doing something better. But then once we get to a point where we say, um, hey, I know that there's a better way that we can be doing this, or I know that there's ways that we can be improving, and I don't know what those are, but I'm going to ask the people that that I do trust. And, and the funny thing is, I think a lot of those conversations too go side, maybe not sideways, but you get into these conversations with people where you realize, dude, they're just as screwed up as you are. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and I think I heard that, you know, from, from Ryan too, where it's like, you know, you, you, you talk to people and, and take, you know, things that you want that will be uh, an advantage to you, but you're also going to learn some things uh, or they, they might learn some things from you as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think something you said on that, line was, uh, you don't learn unless you talk to people. Yeah. And I just thought that was really powerful because a lot of times, uh, especially in, you know, the production world, you can almost, uh, get siloed off into what you're doing and like your production and how do we make this production the best with what I know. And yet if you just kind of, you know, turn a few degrees and and ask someone who maybe has been there or has a different perspective, all of a sudden that unlocks something to truly make your production better. Yeah. Um, and not just like, you're not just relying on what you know, and what you bring into that situation. Uh, I thought it was super powerful. The other thing that really stood out to me was uh, that story about um, how passion was streaming for six months to nowhere. Yeah. Uh, just to try it. And mm-hmm. And I think that really is a testament to this idea of um, just because you can do it mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should do it right. or should do it yet. Yeah. And uh, I just think uh, for me, I'm going to take that away from this conversation mm-hmm. for sure is that, you know, uh, we can do a lot of things. Technology enables us to do a lot of things, but um, what's your what's your standard of excellence? Right. And, uh, you know, where are you going to? draw the line of like, Hey, mm-hmm. this, we can do this, but it's not quite up to where yeah. we think it needs to be. Yeah. Let's give it some more time. And, and, you know, thanks to them being persistent in that and still experimenting, yep. they were able to handle the COVID pivot, uh, with immense amounts of grace. So, right. For was, sure. That was pretty cool. Well, so too. yeah. All right. That's it for us. Don't forget to hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on our next episode, episode three coming in hot. Yeah. Do we have plans for episode three? Do we know who it's going to be? We do. Ooh, we'll keep it a secret though. We should keep it a yeah, secret. Sounds good. Uh, scheduling is always fun. <laughs> Not my strong suit either. So uh, anyways, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And most of all, thank you so much for doing what you guys do in the shadows. Uh, our hope is that in some small way, the show helps you feel seen, uh, loved and appreciated. So we will catch you next time. See, See ya.
Thank you.